Hey everyone, and welcome to the Annex Tuesday Night Podcast. The Annex is a community seeking to discover and live life in Jesus. And we hope that this message will help you do just that. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe. So these messages come right to your phone each week. And you can always check us out at theannexboulder.com or on our Instagram account at theannex.boulder. Enjoy today's message. Um, well, hey, good evening, you guys. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, one other bit of news that, that I think bears worth or bears knowing is that uh, that Dave's actually going to be a dad for the second time coming up uh, this Friday if it doesn't happen sooner. Right, Dave? Yeah. All right. So so be, be, be in prayer for Dave and for Aaron and for little bro Parker because um, that's big stuff, man. Uh, well, anyway... Uh, as Dave said, my name's Joe. I'm the worship leader for this church, and uh, I'm privileged enough to have the, the opportunity to, to speak with you uh, for these next uh, few weeks. And uh, this series on worship that we're doing is something that, that I'm really excited to share with you guys. Um, it's something that obviously I, I think a lot about because I'm a worship leader, which is a, it's a pretty weird thing to be professionally, but uh, that's what I do. But um, Actually, I think it's, it's accurate to say that I was actually leading worship even before I called myself a Christian. So I've, I've been invested in this topic for a long time. But there's actually a second and, and maybe a more, uh, maybe a deeper reason that I'm excited to share with you guys tonight and, and over the course of the next series is because this whole concept of worship, this, this idea of worship, it's one of those things that, that I think that, frankly, the church just doesn't talk about that often. Um, and in, in the 15 years that I've been a Christian, uh, I've almost never seen a church that I've been a part of talk about worship in, in a really meaningful or accessible way. And actually, there are a lot of things like this. I think that there are a lot of really big concepts that are inherent to Christianity that the church kind of never addresses. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's good for our faith, um, especially in, an a- in the age that we live in when everybody has all the answers. Everybody has all the information ever recorded that's in their pocket all the time, and yet we, as Christians, we can't explain some of the fundamental things that we do because the church never talks about them. But on the other hand, when we actually get the chance to talk about this type of stuff, and when we can approach a topic like worship in a really open and honest way, I I think it does more than just deepen our faith. I think that it deepens our faith, but that it actually gives us a better opportunity to to share a, a piece of the life that we believe that we have in Jesus with other people. So, Tonight, we're, over the course of the series, we're, we're going to cover a lot of stuff, and tonight is, gonna, tonight is a big talk. I'm trying to cover a lot of ground here tonight, so just, just strap in. But what I'm going to try to do uh, is, is answer, I think, three of the most basic questions that we can have about worship. So first, just what is it? What is worship? Um, how do we define it? And then second, why? Why do we worship? What's, what's the point? And then finally, why do we worship here? Why do we do this thing called church? And what's important to note right from the beginning is that, that um, or at least what you should know is that, that these are not, the answers that I'm going to give you guys tonight, they're not the ultimate answers. They're not the only answers. What they are it are the, the answers that I have found most helpful just in the time that I've been doing this. And I hope that this series would be beneficial to you 
in, in just getting to name maybe some of the things in your faith that you've never been able to name before, and that maybe uh, that it would enable you to um, share the, the life that, that we believe we have in Jesus with, with other people. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thanks for being here tonight. We pray that, uh, we pray that your Spirit would speak to us. We pray for uh, the community and the, the, the relationships formed on a weekend like Big Cabin Weekend. And, and, and we pray, Lord, that uh, over the course of this series and as we go from here, that you would be praised. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this first question, what is, just what is worship? How do we define it? This is probably the biggest, the, 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 the hardest question that we have to answer tonight. Because obviously, worship is a really abstract concept, right? It's, it's inherently hard to define. And because the church almost never talks about it, or rarely talks about it, what I've found is that most Christians actually don't have, most of us don't have any sort of articulated definition of worship. Rather, what we have is sort of this vague, um, vague, subjective, uh, cultural definition of worship. So, it's based far, far more on our unique cultural context than it is on any kind of thing from the Bible or, or theology or anything like that. So for me, and, and maybe some of you can relate to some of this, um, I walked into a youth group when I was about 13, 14 years old, and uh, it was a pretty similar setup to what we see at the Annex. There was a band on stage. That band was called a worship team, and they played this like pop rock style of music, and there were words on the screen, and we all did this kind of group karaoke thing. And um, just being around it, I just assumed, I just accepted this non-articulated cultural assumption that what we were doing was worship. And my, my wife, who grew up in the church her, her, her whole life, she had a very similar concept of worship, that worship is just the part in church where you're like singing and raising your hands and, and praising God. And the thing about that is, is that it's, it's not, uh, that definition is not wrong. It's just an extremely narrow definition that's based on one specific cultural context. And what we have to remember as we approach this is that worship, this practice of worship, has, has never looked this, it's almost never looked the same across history and, and across cultures. And, and maybe if you're from a different culture or, or you grew up in another denomination or you grew up in a non-Western tradition of Christianity, you know that what worship can look like is radically different from what we do here at the Annex. But the point is that unless one of those specific cultural definitions of worship, unless our specific cultural definition of worship or one of the others, uh, you know, take your pick, unless one of those is the only one to get worship correct in the last 2,000 years, then there has to be, there has to be a deeper definition of worship. And that's what we're here to find. The question is, where do we go to find it? Well, I think the place we probably ought to start as Christians is to to seek out this definition of worship is in the Bible. What does Scripture have to say about worship? But I think we run into a couple of problems when we do that. Because first, to my knowledge, Scripture never just comes out and, and easily defines worship. It never just hands us a definition and says, hey, this is what worship is, you know. Um, there's no doubt that the Bible says a ton about worship. 
that worship is a really, really important thing for us to do. But the Bible never just comes out and hands us a definition. And then secondly, and this is, this is even, the, I think, the, the bigger problem, is that the picture of worship that we get in the Bible, or rather the, the pictures of worship that we get in the Bible, are, they can be so diverse and so, so broad and, and so huge conceptually that finding a single definition to pin down this word worship is a really hard thing to do. And you guys, I think that this is actually one of the reasons that the church doesn't talk about this uh, more often, is because finding this definition is a really hard thing to do based on the images that we get in Scripture. So real, quick, real quickly, I want to show you guys what I mean. So if we looked at the Bible and we look at the Old Testament— what we see immediately is, is this picture of worship, this image of worship that is largely connected to the Jewish law and this practice of animal sacrifice, okay? Animal sacrifice and burnt offerings. And I think automatically that's really hard for us to relate to as people in 2018 because it feels, you know, if we're honest, it feels primitive. It feels, it feels barbaric, right? That's my daughter laughing at me in the background tonight. Yeah, that's good. Um, so anyway, that's, the, that's sort of the, the, one of the pictures that we have in the Old Testament. Um, and then we get to the Psalms, right? We can't skip over the Psalms when we're talking about worship because they're probably the, the, the richest collection of expressions of worship that we have in Scripture. But the problem, you guys, with the Psalms when we're trying to define stuff is that the Psalms are so diverse in their topics, right? We, we, see, we see music, and we see singing, and we see nature, and we see dancing, but, but also in the Psalms, we see sadness, and we see lamenting, and we see doubt, and we see suffering and anger, and also that somehow is worship. And then, you know, I'm, and of course I'm glossing over a lot here, but then we get to the New Testament, and then in the New Testament, we find out that actually, as Christians, we have access to the, the, the very Spirit of God living within us. And so in the New Testament, we're presented with this, like, blow-the-doors-off huge idea of worshiping in the Spirit. So, what possible definition could cover all those bases? And this is a question that, that lots of people have asked over the years. And guys, stacks, stacks of theology books have been written trying to answer this question. But over the years that I have been a leader, over the years that I've been, been leading worship and doing what I do, I found one definition, and it's not a, an uber-theological definition, it's not an overly academic definition that, that helps me connect all these dots that we find in Scripture. And it's not from, like I said, it's not from theology. It, what it, where it comes from is just understanding the etymology, the history of our word worship. So, um, throw up that slide there, Kyle. Yeah, so our English word worship, it actually comes from two Middle English words. And so the first word is worth, sort of spelled like worth or something. And then ship, not Skype or skip, but ship, okay? So worth essentially means the same thing that, that it does today. To have worth is to have value. It's to, to be valuable, um, but, but this word ship is a really interesting word that, that meant to ascribe or, or to attribute, to, uh, to assign. So what our English word actually means is not specifically religious. All that our English word means is to ascribe worth, okay? And you guys, as simple as that definition sounds, 
or as simple as it may sound, it's the only one that I've found that I can apply to all the images that I find in Scripture, and it actually, it actually works in every case. So in the Old Testament, we look at the, the animal sacrifice. It doesn't make any sense to us as people is in 2018. Well, I can wrap my mind around it when I understand that the, the animals that they sacrificed were this incredibly tactile representation of the worth that they attributed to God. And if we look at the Psalms and, and all the sort of confusing, diverse topics of the Psalms, that whether, whether the psalmist is, is praising God, whether they're talking about the glory of nature, or whether they're, uh, whether they're lamenting and, and, and pleading with God in their suffering, they're all assigning worth. They're all uh, ascribing worth to God's role in those situations. And then even as we get to the New Testament and we, we find out about the Holy Spirit, what we find out, actually, and we're going to talk more about this tonight in just a second, is, is actually that the Holy Spirit's role, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is really to take us and shape us into someone whose whole life would ascribe worth to God. And so there are probably people, you know, there, there might be a few people who would be like, they'd be upset with that definition because it, it leaves out a lot of intricate theology. It leaves out a lot about how, you know, people have theorized how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and this sort of like checklist that we have to have going for us when we approach worship. But for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, that, that for the most part, like, yeah, okay, some of that stuff is useful. Some of it's good to know. Um, some of it's interesting. But for me, most of the time when I'm getting up here to lead or when I'm designing a worship set or, you know, when I'm just coming to church or out in my daily life, that, that heavy theology is, is pretty useless to me. Like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be pretty honest about that. Um, because it's too abstract. It's too heady. I can't live in that theology the same way that I can live with this really, live in, in a moment of worship with this really simple definition that just says, um, when I approach it, like I'm coming to church, what I, it's, it's helpful to me to know that the goal is simply for me to say, Jesus, regardless of whatever else is going on in my life, that actually you matter. You matter to me. That I could be doing a million other things right now, but you're worthy of my time and of my attention. And so here's what's really cool about this, you guys. Here's why we're building a whole series around this definition of ascribe worth. It's because this really simple definition, it actually goes really deep. And when I understand worship as, as ascribing worth, as assigning value to God, I can actually better approach the second question, which is why. Why do we worship? And I think this isn't, this, it's important to know that this isn't a self-evident question. Again, I think, like, maybe if you've been around the church for a long time, if you've grown up in the church, or, you know, you've just been coming for a while, that this can seem like a, a self-evident question, that, like, we worship because it's what we do in church. But I wonder, have you guys ever stepped outside of yourselves um, in a worship service and, and thought how totally weird what we're doing can seem to someone who doesn't know anything about the Bible or doesn't know anything about church or doesn't know anything about Christian culture or, or Jesus? How does it look 
to a person when, when they don't know any of that stuff and they come in and they see us all facing the same way and doing our group karaoke to our invisible friend Jesus? How does it look? And this, is, this isn't a hypothetical situation, you guys. You go to class with somebody like this. Somebody like this might be in your family. You, you might be roommates with somebody like this, right? And so how would we approach this, this? How would we explain this? How would we explain what the point is of ascribing worth to God? Well, guys, the first mistake that we can make, I think, in trying to answer that question is, is assuming that, that worship only happens in church, okay? That's a cultural assumption. It's, it's certainly not what we find in the Bible. So if we're really trying to understand, if we're really trying to explain the purpose of worship, we can't just start by describing what we do in church. We actually have to back way up. We have to back way up from just this picture of church. And the crazy thing is, is that most of us actually intuitively understand that worship is, is much, much bigger than church. We just don't know how to talk about it outside of church terminology. So here's probably the most universal, the most, the most ubiquitous example of, of what I'm talking about. So how many people, by show of hands, how many people have had what they consider to be a worshipful experience by being in nature? By looking at a sunrise, looking at the stars, you know, yeah, that's because worship isn't confined to what we do in church. We see it all over scripture, you guys. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim, they ascribe worth to the work of his hands. And even so, like, even if you're totally tuned out and like you, you, I totally lost you with that definition of worship, I want you to pay attention for just a quick second to, to hear how much bigger this concept of worship actually is. Because you guys, there's a theme that runs pretty much throughout the entire Bible that actually the natural state, the intended state of all creation is worship. So um, Paul, this guy who wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament. Um, he, he said it this way when he was writing his, uh, his letter to the, the church in Rome in the first century. He said this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. And they're without an, what he's talking about is they're without an excuse to acknowledge him. But this is what we really can't miss, especially if, if we believe— well, so actually, let me back up a little bit. So, creation, by its very nature, it ascribes worth to God. It ascribes worth to the Creator. And this, you guys, it's, it's, it's a universal human experience. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or an atheist or, you know, anything else in between. It's impossible to stare up at the night sky when there's no light pollution and you can, you can see the Milky Way and you can see the expanse of the universe and not have an emotional response, to not feel like you're pulled into something bigger, even if, what, even if you don't call that God, right? But here's what we can't miss, especially if we do believe in God. It's that we humans, we are part of creation. We are part of this whole picture that was made to worship, that was made to ascribe worth. So maybe you've been in church for a while and, and you've heard along the way the phrase that, that you, you were created to worship. Now, there's, there's a way of interpreting that where it sounds like it really sucks. 
Um, it makes God out to be this really petty, selfish diva who, who just needs attention all the time. But, but when we understand worship as ascribing worth, and we understand that, that all of creation, including us, is intended to, to ascribe worth, to point back, essentially, to the Creator, it changes the understanding completely. I mean, it, it, it changes it for me anyway. Because what we see is that worship is, is not about falling prostrate and, and all the time and trying to serve the narcissistic needs of this diva God. It's that our entire lives, you guys, everything that we do in church, in school, at work, in our houses, with our families, everything we do as Christians is intended to point back to something bigger than ourselves. The same way, you guys, that, that the stars pull us in and point back to something bigger. So we're, we're going to be hearing a lot from Paul over the course of this message and, and probably next week as well because he wrote a lot about this. So this is Paul, again, writing to the church in Rome a little bit later in this verse that you've probably heard uh, if, you, if you've been around church for any length of time. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. So why, why do we worship? It's because, actually, when we live a life that ascribes worth to God, what we actually end up finding is our truest selves. We find the, this transformation and the renewing of our minds. We end up finding who we were created to be. Now, I understand uh, if that sounds far-fetched or, or if, if you just flat out don't believe it, that's fine. But what I'd encourage you is to, is to try it, right? Even if, even if you don't believe it, try honestly, living the way that Jesus taught us to live. Try treating people the way that Jesus treated people. Now, your life probably isn't going to get easy, easier, but I bet at a minimum you will see that it's actually, it's actually a transformative way to live. And here's what's even crazier, you guys. It's that your life my life, our lives are, are actually the answer that God has given to redeeming a world that is broken. Our, our living sacrifice, our worship, is the primary way that God calls people back to himself. We worship you guys so, so that that person sitting next to you in class, that, that family member, that friend, that roommate, your, your um anybody you know who, who, who maybe knows nothing about the church, or maybe they turned away from the church, is so that that person would actually see something different in the way that we live our lives, in the way that you live your life, that your life would ascribe worth to something that makes them feel like maybe there's something more. Maybe there is more than the pursuit of a degree and success and money and material possessions. Maybe there's, there's more than the party scene on the weekends. Maybe there's a way to reconcile a relationship or, or, or to redeem something that happened to them or, or to, to forgive someone or to seek forgiveness. You guys, our lives are meant to pull people into something bigger. And this is, 
this is sort of the perspective that, that I take on this. This is what, what really inspires me when I think about this, this concept of, of worship as a living sacrifice and, and how it calls people into it, is that what we have to remember is how powerful it is. Because this is where—think about where Christianity started. It started as this tiny, insignificant group of illiterate, dirt-poor followers of, of a crucified Jewish prophet from the middle of nowhere in the first century. Today, in 2018, a third of the seven billion people who are on this planet call themselves Christians. And you guys, that didn't happen by magic, and it didn't happen by luck either. It also didn't happen because someone just handed these people a Bible and said, hey, read this. It happened because of the Christian life, the life that Jesus lived while he was on earth, and the lives of the people who began to follow him, their lives ascribed worth to something so different, so beautiful, so powerful, that before the Bible existed, you guys, without any land, without any money, without an army to conquer things, the life worship of Jesus' followers broke the greatest human political power that the world had ever seen. The Roman Empire, the same power that executed Jesus and, and, and eventually tried to wipe out the Christian movement, it was won over by the lives of Christians. And then from that point, even more unbelievably, the Christian morality, the Christian ethic, it literally went on to build Western civilization. You guys, it is not an exaggeration to say that worshiping as a living sacrifice can change the world. It's already happened. We're living in a present reality that has been shaped by the life worshiper, life worship of centuries of Christians who have gone before us. And guess what? People still need it. They still need to hear it right here at CU in Boulder. They still need to hear it. And that's why we worship. That's why we worship with our lives as Christians now. And that's the responsibility that we carry with how our lives ascribe worth to the life we know in Jesus. So, that kind of makes what we do here on a Tuesday night seem pretty small by comparison, doesn't it? I mean... Why would we even bother coming to church when, when this whole idea of worship is, is so much bigger? Why, why do we meet here? Why has corporate worship always been a part of Christianity? Well, the answer for that, you guys, it's, it's actually just as important as the reason that, that we do this living sacrifice worship. The reason that we gather and see each other and watch dumb humor videos and, and sing our group karaoke and listen to some dude talk is because as much as you and I would like to imagine or, or may like to imagine that, that our lives are this perfect reflection that, that continually ascribes worth and points back to God, the reality is, is that that's, that's pretty far from the truth. The reality is that we forget we sit here in church or, you know, maybe we go on a mission trip. We make some new friends at a place like Big Cabin Weekend. And, you know, we have these mountaintop experiences where we think, yeah, God, you're, you're awesome. I'm going to go out and I'm going to point people back to you. But then after a while, there's, there's school and there's midterms and there's, you know, there's, there's financial concerns and there's health stuff and there's broken relationships. There's literally a million other things that are competing for our focus and we forget. 
No one's, this, this is part of being human, you guys. It's, it's, it's part of the human story. In the Old Testament, as we look back to the Old Testament again, what we see are, are the, the Israelite people, they, God will do something awesome for them, and all the Israelite people will, will, will be like, yeah, God, you're awesome. We're going we're gonna to follow you, and we're going to do all this great stuff, and we're going to keep your laws. But then some time passes, and they forget, and they turn away. It's all over the New Testament as well. Our, our boy, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he, he continually pleads with people to, to remember. Remember your identity in Christ. Remember who you were called to be. Remember this, this new self that you were supposed to take on. And here's the other thing that, that, that we can't escape. is that we all worship something. And so you guys remember that this definition of worship that we've been talking about, it's not specifically religious. Even, even, if you, even if you don't believe, even if you're not religious, we all ascribe worth to something. We all assign the highest value to something in our lives. And whether we like it or not, our lives are going to point back. They're going to ascribe worth to whatever it is that we, in fact, worship. And I think, if we're honest, if I'm honest— that most of the time the thing as Christians that we actually worship is not Jesus. Now, that's not to say that, that all the things that we have in our lives are bad besides God. You know, we have things that are, that are rightfully important to us, you know. But the question for us as Christians, you guys, is where does our worship, where do our lives ultimately point? And I'd say maybe the primary reason that, that people call Christians hypocrites why that's, that's such a common thing to believe uh, among people who, who don't follow Jesus is because what we Christians say that we worship and what our lives actually point back to are not the same thing, right? Our lives declare much louder and clearer that we actually worship all the same things that the world does. We worship money. We worship ambition. We worship our stress, we worship, our, we worship our addictions. We worship the need to be liked and accepted. Uh, we, we worship our need for control and dominion over our lives. And our lives end up pointing to these really worldly things. And so there's, there's one other thing that can happen to us that, that makes us forget, that makes us, our, it makes us forget uh, who, who we are and what our, our purpose is. And that, this is something that's been a big part of my story. And it's simply that we can doubt, right? Um, this has been a part of my story from the very beginning of my faith. Um, and, and maybe this is true for you, that, that you can go out and, and maybe we find inconsistencies in the Bible that, that we weren't unaware of. Or, um, you know, one of your professors or one of your classmates, they have this argument against a, a particular set of Christian beliefs, and like you just have, you have no counter-argument. It's a pretty convincing argument. Or maybe, uh, maybe you look out at the world and the condition that, that it, it feels like it's in and, and all of the suffering and all the brokenness that you see around you, and you don't understand how a God of love and justice could allow this reality to, to exist. Or maybe something happens to you, or maybe something happens to someone that you love that makes you question, like, how could there be a God who, who cares about me at all? You guys, I, if, if, if I'm honest, I get stuck in this. I, I get stuck in how, how God just doesn't seem to show up sometimes. I get stuck, and I get angry 
at how small-minded and how misguided the church can be. And, and so I, I bring all of this in with me to a Tuesday night or to a, a Sunday morning or to whatever I'm doing. And, um, and while I'm there, while I'm, you know, stewing in this in, in the middle of a worship service, I'll hear something like the same tired old story that I've heard a, a million times before. Something about how the, the kingdom of God is like a, a father who's, who, uh, whose son went off and, and basically told him that he wished he was dead, went off and spent all his money, and then came crawling back. But instead of, of the father turning away from him, the father actually ran to his child and embraced him. And something happens, in spite of how many times I've heard that story, something happens to me, sitting in worship, and, and I remember something. I remember that, hey, that's the type of dad that you decided that you wanted to be when you found out that, that you were going to be a dad. That's the, type you, that's the type of dad you decided you wanted to be when your daughter was born. And I remember, hey, I didn't get that from, from Wikipedia or, or one of the, the parenting books that my wife bought that I didn't read. That's a story that Jesus told, right? And then I'll, rem- I, I'll, I'll think a little further, and I'll remember something else. I'll, I'll remember, hey, you know how you have, like, an awesome marriage? You know how your marriage is, like, one of the best things in your life, and, and your marriage is really strong and really good amidst a culture where marriages are just falling apart left and right? Do you remember why that is? It's because you and your wife built a a marriage. You built a relationship that tried its best to model the covenantal relationship that God has made with us. And eventually, I'll I'll be reminded of these things, and I'll remember that I'm not a Christian because of the Bible. I'm not a Christian because the Bible totally makes sense. I'm not a Christian because the church is a perfect institution that does all the right things all the time. That I'm a Christian, that I, I considered, I started following Christ when I was a teenager because since then I felt an inexplicable truth in the life and, and the, the message of Jesus. And it hasn't let, let go of me. But here's what's important about that. Here's why we meet and do church. It's because I didn't remember those things because I'm, I'm such a disciplined Christian who does like quiet times and journaling all the time. I remembered those things because I was here. And I was here when I didn't want to be. And I was here when I was doubting. And I was here when, you know, the sermon wasn't that good or when the, the worship was mediocre or my friends weren't there. I remembered those things because I was here. I was around other Christians. So the author, this, this is also a theme that we find in the Bible. This is a passage from, from Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, but, but this is what that person said about this topic. He said, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You guys, we do church because we need a chance to be together in worship so that we can help each other remember who we are, so that our lives can point each other back to the identity that we believe we have in Jesus. I see you students, you guys. You go to class every day on a campus that is largely dismissive of Christianity. 
you're going to encounter ideas that will challenge your faith, right? And you're going to be exposed on, on the regular to a culture that values, that ascribes worth to self-satisfaction above everything else. You need each other if you're going to contend with that and if you're going to remember who you are. You seniors, this is, this is especially important for you guys because as much as I would like to promise you that the community that you've built over the last four years is going to stay really tight and intact, the reality is that, is that as you and your friends pursue different life ambitions and different career tra- trajectories, that it's not going to stay the same. And you're heading out into a society that increasingly sees no value in following Jesus. And if you don't find a community, if you don't find people and surround yourself with people to remind you who you are in Jesus, I promise it's going to be easier than it ever has been to forget who you say you are right now in him. So I know that that sounds really pessimistic. <laughs> but, but as we begin to, to wrap up tonight, um, here's, here's something that I find, I find profoundly hopeful. Jesus literally gave us a way to remember together. You guys, across time and and across all the various cultures and denominations that have existed, there has been one single element of Christian worship that has lasted for 2,000 years and up to this very moment. It's one single act that sums up everything we've been talking about tonight. And you guys, this table that's right down here, this is what it looks like. And so I, I first got the opportunity to do this thing that we call communion uh, when I was sitting where you were sitting, when I was a CU student coming to the annex. And, and even since then, since that first time that I was able to do it, it, and even when I really didn't understand what it meant, it's always called me into something deeper. And as many times as I, as I get to do it, I never get tired of this. Because it reminds me. It always calls me into something deeper. And this is what we're going to have the chance to do tonight. And if you've never heard it before, this is the way that Jesus told us to remember. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks... He broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. And whenever you do, what? Remember me. And Paul, this, this guy Paul, the, our, our boy Paul, he, he reminds us that as often as it, it is that we eat this bread and as often as we drink this, this cup, we proclaim, we ascribe worth, we point back to the Lord's death until he comes again. And we're going to have a chance to, to partake in this tonight. You guys, this idea of worship, it's, it's so much bigger than what we're doing in here tonight. But this is where Christian worship started. Before there was a Bible, 
before there was, there was an institution called the church, when, when, when Christianity was literally just a handful of guys in a room, Jesus himself said that this is what is worth remembering, that we worship a God who loved us so much that he would die to give us life. There is nothing better that we could ascribe worth to. So as Dave said a couple weeks ago, I, I know that we just had the chance to, to, to do communion, but we, we just had to do it again tonight. And as Dave said a couple weeks ago, this table is for everyone who has even a, a, a shred of faith that, that Jesus is Lord. What I, want you, what I want you to know tonight is that if, if that's not you tonight, that, that, that tonight that's okay. That you can let this moment pass you by. And I promise on behalf of everybody here that there's not going to be any judgment for that. But all that I hope is that if that's you tonight, that, that you keep coming back. And even more than that, I hope and I pray that, that you see something different in the lives of the people of this community. And for those of you who, who do say and who have said that Jesus is your Lord, I hope that, that you want to be. I hope that we want to be a community that looks different. I hope that you want to be a group of people that doesn't exist to just serve itself and worship all the same things that the world worships. I hope that, that when you come to the annex that you know that this is going to be a group of people that points each other to their identity in Jesus. And that when we are reaffirmed of our identity in Jesus, that we would take that identity and go and live that on, in our camp, on, on the campus and in your classes and, and in your houses and with your roommates and your families. And I hope that when we remember that, that our worship would be lived out in a way that calls people in to a life that they never knew was possible. So as we come to the table tonight, you guys, um, this is, uh, if you've never taken communion before, this is going to be what's called communion by intention, which means you'll take a piece of bread and you'll dip it in the cup. Um, and I'm actually going to invite the, the servers to come up right now to, uh, to be up here and start getting ready. And you can just come down the center aisle uh, whenever you're ready to receive communion. And as we do that, uh, the band's, the band's going to come up, and, and we're going to spend some time singing some songs together. But, uh, yeah, I've been told that this is as allergen-free as possible, right, Matt? Correct. Correct. All right. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll have the chance to, to take communion and worship together. Jesus, we thank you for this table. We thank you for, for the gift and, and just the acknowledgement, Lord, that, that you knew how forgetful we are. And so you, we, we thank you that you gave us this. We thank you that you gave us this act of worship. And we pray that, that as we receive this tonight, that it would, be, that it would resonate with the truth in, in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds that would enable us to live as living sacrifices that would call people back to you. May your spirit be with us as we worship tonight. We do all of this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you back here next week.